Yo, so we're at the largest mall in North America, right? And we just thought we'd come around here and kick it with some folks to see what they know. I pulled these phrases, I just need you to finish them, okay? <laughs> it's gonna be really cool. All right, here we go. Um, God so loved the world that he... Made it in six days? <laughs> Made it very nice. Gave Adam and Eve to the, the, the land. <laughs> Gave his only son. Yes, what was his son's name? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to... I have a feeling it rhymes. Do really good stuff. Kinda. You almost close. there. Yeah, you're yeah. close. <laughs> I can do all things through... Love. All things, um... With each other. Basketball. I can do all things through basketball. Okay. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in. He that is in me than he that is in. I. Got nothing, I don't know. <laughs> you. <laughs> in the dark. For by grace you have been. Oh, uh, this is actually one I should know because I've heard this. I agree. <laughs> Gifted. Reconciled. Yeah, yeah, you know, I reckon. Selected. Be not conformed to the ways of this world, be transformed by. Meditation? People are around you. <laughs> yeah, um, that might not be a great thing. I can do all things through basketball. That was pretty wise. Okay, so that's not theologically correct. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Westview Community Church. I saw several new faces today. What a joy to be with all of you. Two folks that are new to us today, they're checking out uh, Westview Community Church. Lene mentioned this worship guide when you walked in the door. Uh, we're gonna go into a sermon here. We're gonna talk about God's word, the Bible. And there's an outline here on the back just for you to get oriented to that. Uh, everybody can keep notes. This is something really good. It's a framework actually of the sermon so you can go back through the week and actually uh, uh, go back and review the scriptures, ponder points, write emails to us <laughs> saying, hey, you don't get that. And we've got to answer them. We'd like to welcome those two who are online. We welcome our soldiers who are deployed, those who are homebound. Uh, just, we're glad to have you too. For those who are online, we are going to finish in communion today. So I want to encourage you, if you have a second, run and get bread and juice and join us. That way, I mean, we're one family no matter where we are. Amen? And we really want you to join in with us too. That video, funny, yet sad, wasn't it? The, uh, that's why we're in this sermon series called Why We Read the Bible. Why we, why we read the Bible, we're answering that question for six weeks uh, with this answer, to know, to know. Last week, we, we said, why do we read the Bible? We said, to know God. That's first and foremost, to know God through his son Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So to know, and, and, and this week we're gonna talk about to know our past and future. We're gonna talk about next week to know truth. We're gonna talk about to know ourselves, to know the way, and to know the purpose of the church and what Lene offered, maybe to know God's love. I think that's woven all the way through this whole thing, but if we don't hit it, we're gonna go to week seven. We'll make sure we hit that one. But this to know, we wanna remind you of what we talked about last week. To know is not to fill my heads up with a bunch of facts about who God is. To know in the original Greek means to have a relationship. So for Valentine's Day, I like really knowing my wife, Kara. Knowing my wife comes from here, not a bunch of facts about Kara. And so that's what this is about. To know these things really means to go through heart transformation in my relationship with God, through Christ, the Holy Spirit, and with you, and with the world. So let's start. I want to kind of clear our minds here before we get going. I want to start actually in prayer together. Would you bow your heads with me? And those online, bow with us. Heavenly Father, we, we we're going into your word. It, it, for seven weeks, we're talking about the importance of the Bible in our lives. Father, we're not worshiping this book and its text, but it really helps us to know and worship you, to know and worship your son. Father, we, the one thing I want the most today for those with us is that I'm not motivated by guilt to read the Bible unless it's the Holy Spirit guilting me. It's like, it's not a reason. What I want is what we're saying, Lord, is that your word is like a fire in my bones. Your word is like a whisper to my soul that I engage your word, and when I'm engaging your word, I'm engaging you, and I'm coming alive. And Father, that is our prayer for all of us, that through your word, we come alive as a body. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to start with a poem, and I'm going to read this poem to you, and I just ask that you kind of reflect on what it's saying. We'll put it up here on the screen. Here's the poem. It says, You who are passing by, I beg you, do something. Learn a dance step, something to justify your existence, something that gives you the right to be dressed in your skin, in your body hair. Learn to walk and to laugh. Because it would be too senseless, after all, for so many to have died while you live doing nothing with your life. Thoughts about that? It's kind of a little bit of a roller coaster ride, isn't it? It's kind of like it's got lofty things like, hey, let's dance, let's live life, let's do. But it's got some stinging statements in there. Statements that call us out in some way. Who's seen this poem before? Any hands? Okay. This poem was projected on a wall. It was the very last thing my wife and Kara and I saw as we exited the Auschwitz exhibit at Union Station in Kansas City last Tuesday. Last thing, four hours walking through, last thing as we exited the door, this was projected on the wall. 
It's written by Charlotte Delbo. It's important to know her history. Charlotte was a French resistance fighter who was captured during World War II by the Nazi regime. She was put on a train and landed at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Largest Birkenau, Auschwitz-Birkenau was the largest death camp of the whole system. 1.3 million people went in, 1.1 million died. 900,000 died within the first day they got there. Right off the train, right to the gas chamber, right to the incinerator. Only 200,000 survived, and Charlotte was one. She shares when she arrived at Auschwitz and got off the train, she was immediately stripped naked. Her hair was shaved all the way off. She had all her human rights stripped away, and they took away her name. She was given a number, 31661, tattooed on her arm. She never could be referred to by name, only by number. It took away everything. Charlotte was a firsthand witness to the Holocaust. So I want you to reread this poem with me silently, knowing that context. Context changes everything, doesn't it? And how we read something. Charlotte's poem is about living our lives because of the memories. This poem, to me, is about remembering. The title of the exhibit in Kansas City at the Union Station is this Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. We see in this exhibit, we see the depth of evil with unchecked humanity. We see a huge warning. We also see in the Auschwitz exhibit the res incredible resilience of humanity. We see inspiration. I was so inspired, I'm still heavy. That was almost a week ago. The entire Auschwitz exhibit is about remembering our past because it impacts today and it impacts our future. It's only there for another month if you haven't gone. It's life-changing. I encourage you to go. There's only tickets available during the week. We remember. We remember. Because our past impacts today and it impacts tomorrow. Our past is recorded here. Our heritage is here. This is so closely tied to you and me, whether we know it or not. Let's look at our first sermon note together. We read the Bible to know our past and future. We read this to know our past and our future. We read the Bible to remember, remember, remember. We remember when we read the Bible the incredible good of God, our creator, his love for creation, that's depicted over centuries. And we also read the Bible to remember the horrible tragedy of sin. It's so graphic in here. 
and how over and over and over people have moved away from God and his word and have destroyed their lives, their families, entire communities, entire nations. The word remember is in your Bibles, placed throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, 253 times. It's a lot. Remember my covenant, God says. Remember my commands. Remember your suffering. Remember me, God says, when all goes well. Remember when I rescue you. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the heroes of faith. Remember the days of old. Remember, 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 remember. It's permeated through the whole Bible. God calls us to remember. This isn't on your, if you want to jot this down in the margins here, here's, here's a list. God calls us to remember through his word four things. Four overarching things that God calls us to remember when we read his word, the Bible. First, God calls us to remember what he's created. He's the creator. He makes that very clear. He knows us. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every hair on your eyebrows. He knows everything about you and I. He knows everything about his creation. He's the one who created it. And so he also calls us to remember what he's commanded. For God knows what is good for us. He created us. He has our owner's manual. He knows what will give us life and life to the full, and he knows what will destroy us. And so he gives us his commandments. He also calls us to remember what he's done. There is no book that shows in detail what God has shown us how, this isn't God did this and watch what humanity did afterwards. It's like God did this and watch how he interacted with it from day one to today. This beautifully depicts how often God interacts with his humanity who he loves in incredible detail. So God calls us to remember what he's created, what he's commanded, what he's done, and the last thing, what he's promised. When we remember, we're remembering in here his promises, and a lot of them are still to come. So we remember all those things. Look at that. We remember when we read the Bible what he's created, what he's commanded, what he's done, what he's promised. Kind of gives us a big view. It's so huge. The Bible is still the bestseller book of all time. It's the most read. And despite being strictly analyzed over every century by every philosopher and every theologian and every critic, it still stands strong today. No book has been brutalized like this one and questioned, and yet it still stands stronger than ever today. As a matter of fact, it proves itself over and over. This book was written over 1,500 years. It was written on three continents. It was written in three different languages by 40 different authors who had all different kinds of backgrounds, social standing, ethnicity. Name me another book that's anything like this. There's nothing like it. And yet they all tell the same story as it progresses. We talked about that last week. So let's go back to our note. If we read the Bible to know our past and our future, if we read the Bible to remember, this begs an important question. Can we trust what we're reading? If I'm gonna remember this, 
Can I trust it? So I want to go after that today. And I'm going to tell you right now, I would love to keep you here for four hours and try to prove this to you. That's not my job. I will give you a big picture and the Holy Spirit's going to work on you like none other. All week. He already has. But when you, this should just take your breath away what we're going to cover. And it's only a small iota of everything I want to cover. So anyway, let's far, start with uh, Sermon Note 2. The Bible is historically accurate. So can I, can I trust it? So let's start with this. It's historically accurate. If we use the same criteria that we use to judge any other history book, no matter what book of history you look at, if you use the same criteria to judge it as you judge the Bible, you'll find out it's more reliable than any other comparable writing. And the reason why I say that is because when I pick this book up today and I open it and I look at it, and it's written in an English, you know, I'm, I'm giving you the New Living Translation, which is like the most English readable today. So we're kind of not doing Old King James, Thee and Thou English. As I dig into this and I go back, what's interesting is that there's not a couple hundred manuscripts from centuries ago around, around the new church times that dictate, there's thousands of manuscripts written from the earliest days and one of the biggest impacts was in the 1950s when they found a Dead Sea Scrolls one of the earliest writings of some of the Old Testament books and I go look at them and it still matches today precisely this book contains the whole history of humanity you know what's interesting about that is that it predates history <laughs> Ever since the day man walked on the earth, this came out long before we started writing it down. And so it gets criticized. It gets criticized because you go back into Genesis in the time of Abraham, and this is long before recorded history for the most part, and you're looking here, and some people will throw, throw barbs at this and say, well, hey, here's this town of Ur. It doesn't exist anywhere. Abraham came from the town of Ur of Chaldeans and went across the land to, the, to what's Israel today. It's like, Ur doesn't exist. It's not on any map. In 1920, archaeologists discovered these ruins and they found the city of Ur. <laughs> Thousands of years later. Archaeology is so good today because they can sonar penetrate down. They can see things before they even dig. In the Bible, when we read the Bible, we go to Genesis chapter 15, we read about the Hittite people. They were the most powerful nation in the Middle East. But say there's no proof. It's like, how can you read this? The Hittite people never existed. Well, that was until 1906 when a shovel found a whole Hittite city. And we discovered the Hittite people. The Bible talked about them thousands of years before that. I think it's important to stress just not all these little facts, but it's interesting. I get Bible Archaeology Magazine. It's a fun one if you ever want to come borrow one. Every time I open it, they're digging something that's proven the Bible over and over. They keep finding older stuff. It's like, I think there those people are. They, it's fun. It must be stressed that historical reliability is unique to Judaism, the Jewish faith, and Christianity. No other religion has a historical basis written on the history of their religion that goes all the way back from the creator through all man. No other religion has this. But I think what's important for me is 
that the Bible is so much more than history. It's the only book in history of mankind that actually explains the history. The Bible is the only one that says, hey, this isn't a bunch of good facts. Here's God and here's his purpose from you, for you for, from day one. It explains our history. It explains our purpose. There is no other book you'll ever look for that ever, that ever denotes that. So we would say that any writing I look at that's historically and factually correct and that's been faithfully preserved over the centuries and over time, I would call that reliable. And that's what the Bible is. It is proven over and over and over and over. Historically, it's reliable. But again, I want to say it's so much more than a history book. When I pick up this Bible, and I explore its pages from Abraham all the way through today and through the new early church. It shares with me my identity as a Christian. If I don't have this book, I have no identity as a Christian. I have no idea where I come from. I have no reason to believe what I believe. My identity's here. My whole ancestry of faith is here. How it developed and everything in the Christian church, everything largely that we do today it's based off of this. But even more important than that, I think, not only is, is my identity here, that I see my identity as a Christian and your identity as a body of Christ, history shows too throughout here. This Bible shows my family. I mean, when I think of Moses or when, when you think of Peter or you think of all these figures, you're thinking, that's not family. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Family. We are brothers and sisters of every redeemed soul throughout the history of mankind. We are all one day headed towards heaven where we are one family adopted through the Son to be children of God. I joke that when I get to heaven, after about five years of just reveling in Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, I won't go meet my brother Moses, who I bet already knows me. I'll go meet Peter because we're one family. This is our family. Isn't that weird to you? It shouldn't be just a historical book. So if the Bible's this reliable and I just skimmed the very top, this scripture should really jump out to us. Deuteronomy chapter four here in the Old Testament starting in verse five, it says, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence around the surrounding nations or among the surrounding nations. That's still true today. But watch out. Be careful never to forget. What you yourself have seen, do not let these memories, don't stop remembering. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And this, be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. The historical accuracy is very important to us. It gives us confidence when we remember. But so importantly, that we pass this on to our children and our grandchildren. So let's remember this too, not just a history book, that's a good place to start. 
We read the Bible also to know our future. Not only the past, but the future. As we read, we remember that God has a plan for our future that has not fully been fully revealed yet in Christ. We see part of it. This book is so alive. I'm waiting to talk about that down the road. So here's your third sermon note. The Bible is prophetically reliable. It's historically accurate. It's prophetically reliable. The word prophecy sometimes throws us. When we think of prophecy, we always think of foretelling, telling the future and things like that. Prophecy is whenever I receive a word from God and share it in a direction to his people. Now, how we choose to listen to that or not listen to that does determine our future. If I listen to God's word, we're blessed and we thrive. We ignore it and we go the other direction. That's the prophecy. That's the foretelling. Do this and this will happen. Don't do it. This will happen. The Bible contains approximately 2,500 prophecies with over 2,000 of them already fulfilled with precision. The odds today, I always like this one, the odds today that 2,000 prophecies could have been fulfilled by chance are less than one in one with 2,000 zeros behind it. This should overwhelm us how big the Bible really is. There's still 500 prophecies still talking about the second coming of Jesus. We're still waiting on those. We'll get back to that. Peter, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, is writing in his letter to the church, Second Peter. He's writing about um, the best thing he's, he's saying here. He's saying, stand firm in this truth. He's, he's telling the church, stand firm in this truth you've been taught. And he, Peter's sharing with them when he writes this letter that we have seen all the history. We've seen the Old Testament, God's word that pointed to a prophecy of a Messiah. And we've seen this Messiah and we stood with him. And one day we stood on the mountain with him, just me and a couple other guys, and God shined down and said this all around us. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I was there when that happened. That gets us to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Peter says, because of that mountain experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Peter's saying, I have this Bible, it tells me all this past. And then we see it fulfilled in Jesus. And now we have this hope for the future. And you know what they call that? The good news. And he says, this good news is a lamp for all of us. This good news will guides us to our future. This good news is for us as we go forward until the day Jesus comes back. prophetically reliable so let's pull the past the present and the future all together here's a quote it's by Jeffrey Authors he's a pastor he, he, he writes this he says if we have no memory we are adrift because remembering memory anchors us to the past it interprets the present 
and it charts the course for the future. Jeffrey says, remembering, remembering anchors us to history so we repeat what's good and we stay away from what's bad. So it anchors us to history. It also, it also helps us make decisions today. If I'm making decisions today based upon God's word, I'm looking at these choices I have to make today and I'm saying, let's do this because God said, he knows what's good for me. If I don't read this, I'm gonna make decisions today based upon did God really say? And that permeates our culture. Remembering anchors us to history. It helps us make decisions today, but it also helps us remember the promise for tomorrow. It keeps us on the right path for tomorrow and towards eternity. Let me share with you out of the book of Hebrews, chapter two, verse one. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. So the author here in Hebrews is writing this word drift. He's using a nautical term, a ship sailing term. If we don't listen carefully, we're gonna start to drift like a ship until one day we're on the shoals and we wreck. It's gentle, it's usually subtle until we get so far off, we crash. And that's our fourth sermon note. This is for us today. That was written 2,000 years ago. Here, we must remember so we don't drift. We must remember this so we don't drift. The Auschwitz exhibit to me had only one purpose, and that was remember. Remember. Remember so we don't drift ever again to something like that. Unfortunately, humanity has drifted again over and over, genocide. Remember so we don't allow that kind of evil back in a word. Read the word so we don't drift. And my question is, what squeezes us out of our day every day that we never open it? What is in my schedule every day that I never open this up? and I stay adrift. I'm not saying look at me, but the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I go to the Word. I really do. I spend my first few minutes in the Word. So my ship stays on, <laughs> stays on the right course. We got a big ship here too. Let's take a look at Hebrews 13 together, starting in verse seven. Not only remembering the word so we don't drift, remember this too, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. The moment I turn on my phone, I'm out there in a world of strange new ideas. The internet superhighway, the information superhighway, the media world has a lot of strange and new ideas. Jesus is still the same. 
But this scripture verse is about remembering in community how important it is that people are pouring into us and we're growing. To go after the Bible and go on my own is a hard place to be. God has given the Holy Spirit as a gift through all these people. Do you know how much I learn every day from others? Don't get this idea of pastors sit in a room with all these big books and all I do is just give you information. I'm shaped by people every day. I'm shaped by you every day. And we shape each other. I couldn't imagine going after this without you. So two challenging questions for us today. I'm going to challenge you every week about this book. The first one, now that you're picking it up, if you weren't, <laughs> who's pouring into you? We have over, I don't know how many life groups, there's at least 30 published. They're going all the time, people wrestling together, sharpening each other. If you've struggled picking this book up, here on the back of your worship guide, there's this QR code, and Pastor Wayne is starting a class about the Bible basics. Like, if this thing intimidates you, it's only two classes. He's gonna get you started. So sign up for that. Check this box and say, help me get going. He'll pour into you, and then he won't let you, he'll make sure you go on to the next thing, and somebody else is pouring into you. We pur purposely have this class started just for this series. Help me get started. So not only is who is pouring into us, we need community. The second most important question is, are we pouring into our children? Are we pouring into our grandchildren? If you go back to that video where the sermon started, those were all young people. And before I get up here and say, man, look at my generation, but let's look at millennials and Gen Zers and how far they've gotten away from the Bible and how far our nation is moving away, and let's blame that on them. It's like, no, ladies and gentlemen, I blame it on the boomers, the Gen Xers, and all of us. Why did we not teach them? There are so many in our nation today that are adrift. My favorite memories is with Kara is devotions with our boys at night. As of Friday, Kara and I have a new granddaughter. I bet. <laughs> Thank you. I bet our son Tyson's already preaching to her. <laughs> He's probably gonna watch that. She's in great hands, Annabelle. Hmm. all it takes is one little devotional I remember sitting down each night and they would read the scripture and they would read the story and they would tell us about their day and it's one of the best memories I have of my kids to see them come alive to the word I know I'm going on a little long today hang with me one last thing to encourage us as we read this and we let the Holy Spirit change us is do you know what this book is full of? Promises. Promises. Look at your fifth sermon note. God has fulfilled 7,147 promises in the Bible. Somebody counted them. 
There's a lot of opinion of how many thousands there are, but there are thousands, no matter how you look at it. Somebody counted 7,147 promises that God has made to his people who he loves in the Bible, and he's, he's fulfilled every one. Joshua, one of my favorite characters of the Bible, Moses dies, Joshua gets to be the glory guide, it gets to move him, the, the Israelite nation out of the desert, across the river, into the promised land. He is at one of the most pivotal events of the Old Testament history, that God is putting him there so the whole world will know him, through them. And God has Joshua leading them into there, and, and Joshua does, and he, he brings all the people in, and they settle into the land of Israel, and Joshua writes this at the end of his life. Joshua chapter 23. He says, soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. And deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. You can fast. If God promises 7,147 times to do something as faithful to each one, can we trust him for his next one? I want you to read this with me. Here is the next promise. Here's the one we're waiting on. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And those online and everybody here, I'd like you to read it aloud with me. In your living rooms, yell it out. This would be awesome. Here we go. Verse three. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you and you and you and you and everybody online. Pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. The greatest promise is Jesus' is coming back. And when he comes back, we will be a family for the first time whole, the first time perfect. Amen. And God will dwell amongst us as well as the Son and the Spirit. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. We're all excited about that promise. We remember this promise for it comes through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, his victory over death. We remember this in communion. In communion, we remember our past. We remember today together. And we celebrate our future together. Our communion table, there's several new faces here today. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want, we're one big family, right? We'll get to hang communion with maybe Moses someday. You're welcome here. We're going to go in this worship song. It gives us a chance to reset our hearts, get ourselves right with God. And as the worship song goes, reflect on that, but come forward. Servers, you can join me. We're going to hand you a piece of bread, and we're going to hand you a cup with juice in it. We ask that you take it back to your seat and hold on to it for just a second. 
And we're going to take it together as one family in a little bit. Those online, please join us. Let's reflect, let's clear our hearts, and let's worship in communion together.
up here again context is everything when I read this I saw Jesus for you who are passing by as I hung on a cross as all the Passover crowd that day out of Jerusalem went right by there and saw him talking about justifying our existence we're justified because of him we're justified because he paid a penalty that you and I couldn't pay for him to have died and we never lived but that's not why we do communion we come here to remember because he died and rose again we live and we live forever would you hold your bread up with me in the scriptures it says on the night Jesus was betrayed he took some bread he gave thanks to God for it he broke into pieces he gave it to his closest friends those who believed in him He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember. Take it with me. continue on in the scripture it says in the same way Jesus took a cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new agreement between God and his people Jesus said an agreement that is confirmed by his blood 
the juice symbolizes his blood. And he said it again, do this to remember. He says, for every time you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until God's great promise when he comes back. Amen? Let us take that together, remembering him. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Now we, as a body, we worship in offering. Father, maybe the boldest step today is one of us in this room or a bunch of us in this room need to open that, crack that book. And come alive. Maybe, Father, today our greatest offering to you, our boldest offering is we open that book amongst our children and grandchildren so they don't drift, so we don't drift. Our world is drifting. But our faith is built on the rock. Father, maybe my offering today is I'm going to pour into my children. Maybe my offering today is I'm going to pour into my neighbor who doesn't know your word. Father, you call us to do all that because the beautiful story of you and your son Jesus is to be known by everybody. So we're all one big family one day. Father, rise up your church inspired by your word, inspired by the body, the blood, the sacrifice, and the victory of Jesus over death so that not only we can live today, we can live forever. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.